So what's love got to do with it? Love's got everything to do with it. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head and for me he died. Now that's love. Welcome to Kingdom Living, a broadcast ministry of author and speaker Shanti Young, senior pastor of Second Liberty Baptist Church in Quentin, Virginia. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Young. Now if you would turn with me to the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to look at verses 43 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And then we're going to flip over to chapter 22 of Matthew and look at verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 5, verses 40, starting at verse 43. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Translation. Matthew 5, verse 43. And it reads, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. If we'll flip over to chapter 22 of Matthew, starting at verse 34. And it reads, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. For a few moments this morning, I'm going to preach from the subject, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you once again for you being God and God alone. And Lord God, we just thank you for allowing us to be in a right relationship with you through your son, Jesus the Christ. Lord God, we just thank you for what has taken place during this worship experience on today. Lord God, we just thank you for reminding us that you will take care of us. No matter what comes up in our life, no matter the hills will have to climb no matter the valley experiences that we may go through. Lord God, we know that you are there taking care of us each and every step of the way. Lord God, we also just thank you, Lord God, for your word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. And Lord God, we pray that we would continue to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. But Lord God, that we would go as you have commissioned us to do into this world to make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, we know that we are able to make disciples, Lord God, because we are disciples ourselves, following your word and your will and allowing you to have reign and rulership over every aspect of our life. So Lord God, continue to give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear what it is that you are speaking into us on today. Lord God, we just thank you and we love you and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. What's love got to do with it? This was a song that won a Grammy back in 1985. I was three years old, and it was on the album that was entitled Private Dancer. This song is known and brought to us by the great Tina Turner. And in this song, Tina Turner, she plays the part of a woman who enjoys the carnal encounters with her lover, but feels no emotional attachment to this lover. She wants him to know that there's nothing more to it as for her is purely physical. And their relationship has nothing to do with love, which dismisses, as she states in one of the lyrics, a sweet old fashioned notion. The song says, what's love got to do with it? But if we took a look at it from a biblical perspective and we looked at it from a godly perspective, we would know that love has to do with everything. Jesus Christ came to earth as a supreme expression of God's love for humankind. Foremost, it's in Christ's teaching and his encouragement that we respond to others in love. The Jewish religious leaders, Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had gone to great lengths in their attempts to detail the requirements of God. In fact, they had developed 248 affirmative precepts and 365 negative precepts that one must keep to be in a proper relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I can't possibly remember 248 affirmative precepts and 365 negative precepts in order to be in a right relationship with God. And I know I'm probably not the only one alone here on today that if it had to be counted to remember those 248 and 365 precepts, many of us would find ourselves deep in trouble. But the good news on today is that Jesus Christ lets us know that we don't have to remember all of those things, but if we remember to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and love our neighbor as we love ourselves, everything else will work itself out. Jesus, he condensed and concentrated on the real requirements of God into one great word, to love God with our whole beings is to relate ourselves totally to God for his glory. To love our neighbors as ourselves mean that we are to do all that we can to promote their well-being. The first and greatest commandment says that we are to love God supremely. And this is not a way of looking at God from a fear-based perspective, but we find ourselves loving God because of the relationship that we have with him through Jesus the Christ. Behind that command can be discovered God's grace as he seeks to help us with the priorities of life. We are to love God supremely rather than our home, our business, our church, and even our work. And we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And one of the reasons why we do not love our neighbors more is because we do not love ourselves properly. Yeah. 
We don't love ourselves properly because we have neglected to love God supremely. Many may ask the question, can love be considered a command? Some say it can't. And in trying to answer this question, we need to ask what kind of love is Jesus talking about when he issues the command that we should love our neighbor and not just love our neighbor, but love our enemy and love one another in the brotherhood of faith. What's love got to do with it? Uh, we, there are three types of love that we see here in scripture. One of the most familiar types of love is Eros love, which is a romantic love. It's a sensual love, a sexual love, and it can be a very selfish love if one allows it to be. Our sexuality is part of the good creation of God and with an appreciation for the goodness of the gift to the human family, we need to recognize that Jesus was commanding something more than a particular form of love. If you're old enough, you've had that Eros love. You've had that sensual love for someone or someones. <laughs> we all been there. Well, I won't say we all been there. We, a lot of us have been. But not just Eros love, but philia, which is a Greek word for friendship, a friendship type of love. It's a love based on the worth and the loveliness of the one that is loved. It's a proper and valuable kind of love. However, it is not this kind of love that Jesus was commanding. But there's a third type of love, which is agape. It's the kind of love that's spoken about in John 3.16. Agape love is a sacrificial and self-denying love, the love that we saw Jesus present to us on a hill called Calvary. And it can be commanded and directed by the one who is willing to give that love by the mind and the will of the person who chooses to love in that way. The love Jesus commanded us to practice toward others and particularly those within the family circle is an agape type of love. I want us to take a look at the scope of the commandment to love. We first and foremost must have a proper love for God. Only when we dedicate ourselves to God and give ourselves to his glory can we possibly have the capacity to properly love ourselves and to love others. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. He loved all of us to the point where he was willing to give his only begotten son. Now, how many of us as parents would be willing to give up our child for the world? Nobody would be willing to give up their child for this world a world that is, seems to be in chaos, a world that seems to be developing into a hellish existence. Many of us are not willing to give up our child to sacrifice for this world. But God loved us so much. He wanted to be in a right relationship with us all. He was willing to give up his son. That's an agape type of love. And in loving us, we should love God as well with that same unconditional love. We must have a proper love for ourselves. Jesus said that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The love that we have for ourselves is the measure by which we are able to indicate 
love for others. If some reason we hate ourselves, we will not have a proper measure by which it is to love somebody else. There's a, a saying that goes around in the mental health and the helping community that hurt people hurt people. Many times when we're hurting, we want other people to feel our pain. We want people to experience what it is that we are going through. But just like hurt people hurt people, people who love, love other people. We want them to feel the same love and joy and, and peace that we have in our life. We want them to feel the same way. Question on today I ask you is, do you love yourself or do you hate yourself? Do you find yourself constantly cutting yourself down? Are you guilty of punishing yourself for the past failures and for bad decisions over which you now have no control? Do you dislike the person who looks back at you in the mirror? Many of us have to ask our questions. Do we hate ourselves or do we love ourselves? Perhaps the greatest need is to accept yourself as God's great creation as the object of his loving concern. Accept this grace and forgiveness and then be able to forgive yourself of past failures and shortcomings that you've had in your life. Begin to demonstrate some agape love toward yourself and you will discover that the Holy Spirit is enlarging your capacity to love others. But not only are we commanded to have a proper love for ourselves, we're also commanded to love our neighbor with that same agape love. The big question always has been, who is my neighbor? The common answer has been the one who is closest to you, the one who is near and dear to you, the one who has been your friend and has accommodated you over some time. But Jesus would have us to believe that any person in need of our ministry and our service is our neighbor. And he illustrated this in the story of the Good Samaritan over in Luke chapter 10. So we're commanded to also love our neighbor with that same agape love, but we are commanded to love one another, as it shows us in John chapter 13. We are to love one another because each of us is an object of divine love. We have experienced the love of Jesus the Christ, and because we have experienced that love, we should be willing to share that love with somebody else. We are to love one another that we might demonstrate the reality of Christ's presence in our lives. If we say that we love God and we have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and we say that we love Christ and we're not demonstrating that in our daily lives and going on in our daily activities, why would somebody else want to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? Christian love is to be the badge by which we are identified as Jesus' disciples. In other words, we not should only talk the talk, but we should be able to walk the walk. People should be able to see that we are one of Christ's disciples by the way that we live our lives daily. We should speak in love, but we should also be able to show love. And without love, nothing else really matters, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Verse 13, you can look it up when you get home. But the last and final thing is that we're commanded to love our enemies. We're commanded to love our enemies. Text says those that despitefully use you. And some of us have been in some situations where people have used us. They've abused us. 
They've talked about us. They persecuted us. They've thrown us under the bus and thrown us to the to, to the wolves, but it lets us know here in the word of God that we are commanded to love our enemies. I don't know about you. Sometimes that's difficult to do. So, sometimes it's difficult to even like somebody who's talked about me. It's difficult to love somebody who, who has talked out the side of their neck to me and just came at me the wrong way. It's difficult to love somebody who has tried to throw me under the bus and tried to do all manner of evil against me, but God's word commands us to love our enemies. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we see here that he commands us to love our enemies. This was always been a difficult passage for those who don't understand the nature of the love that Jesus is commanding us to put into practice. It's not an instinctual or romantic love. It's not even a friendship or a social kind of love. It is the Calvary kind of love that which we are to relate to those who mistreat us. When Jesus was there on the cross, he said, to God, Lord God, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if Christ was willing to forgive those who were persecuting him as he took his place on the cross, we too should be able to have that kind of Calvary love that Christ displayed when he died for us all. We are encouraged to love as the Father God loves. God's love does not discriminate, but pours itself out on friends and enemies alike. God's love is not motivated by human merit or loveliness. God's love is governed by its own character, which is ever self-giving and self-denying. God's love seeks the good of both friends and foes. He helps us to understand that despite who it is, that despite if we get along with them, despite if we're buddy-buddy with them, it says that he reigns on the just and the unjust. And that we should not only love one another, but we should love our enemies. But we also see, and I'll save this for another time in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33, the command for a man to love his wife as Christ loved the church. I'm going to save that for another time because I don't want to get myself in trouble on today. We got some celebrating to do with Brother Neil, and I don't want to have to be sitting in the corner because I got myself in some trouble. But we have to understand that God is love and that God has loved us in spite of bad decisions we made of bad experiences that we've had, of the crazy things that we've done in our life. God still loves us, despite all of those things, despite the places we've been, despite the people that we've turned against, God still loved us. And he commands us to love one another, not only our neighbor, not only ourselves, but he commands us to love our enemies. And we have to respond sincerely and steadfastly by faith 
in God's love as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. We have to live a life of faithfulness that expresses itself in following him. Because if we're truly children of God, if we are truly kingdom disciples, we have to be willing to show this love despite how we may feel. We got to forget about our feelings. We have to step back and really look at what's going on. And we have to love people despite all the things that are going on in our life. Forget about your feelings. In other words, that's what God is saying. Don't get caught up in your feelings because your feelings are fleshly. But he tells us in Matthew 6 and 33, what? To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And when we seek God's kingdom and when we live our lives from a spiritual perspective, we don't get caught up in our feelings. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have feelings because we are human. That's our human nature. But we can't always get caught up in our feelings and think that we could do what God would have us to do. Our feelings would get us in trouble. But if we follow God's commandments, if we live up to God's expectations, if we do the will and the work of the Father, then we can, will continue to see the blessings of God in our life. He says, I'll allow it to rain on the just and the unjust. So it doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous, you're still going to be blessed. But if you follow my word and my will, I'll bless you even more. I want to end here. I heard a story the other day about a young seaman, and he was there on the ship, and it was the beginning of the day, and they were in ranks and receiving their instruction for the day. And as they were on the boat and receiving their instructions, and they were in, in line rank, another ship passed on by. And as the young man, he took a look into uh, what was going on on the other ship, he saw a familiar face and he stepped out of ranks and he said, that's him. That's him. And the commanding officer, of course, he got an attitude and said, well, wh why do you think you can step out of rank and shout, that's him, that's him? And the young man, he told him of a story of when he was younger and he found himself in the same water and he found himself in trouble and he was drowning up man jumped off a ship and he saved him. The young man, he said that his family was not able, didn't have enough money to repay this man for saving his life. But he decided that each time that he saw the man, he would let everybody know that that's him. That's the man who saved me. And because of the love that was shown us by God in giving his only son, so that we could be saved, we should boldly proclaim, that's him. That's him who saved me. That's him who raised me. That's him who brought me out time and time again. He put food on my table and clothes on my back, and he kept me in my right mind. That's him, the one who's a lily of the valley. He's a bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's a way out of no way. He's a very present help in a time of trouble. And I want to know if there's anybody who understands that that's him, the one who is considered to be Mary's baby boy. He's considered to be Mark's suffering servant. He's considered to be Luke's great physician. He's considered to be John's word made flesh and acts coming of the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody here who understands that that's him, the one who woke you up this morning, the one who started you on your way, the one who is worthy to be praised on today? So what's love got to do with it? Love's got everything to do with it. And if you can't remember all those things as you go about your life, 
and explain to people that that's him, remember these words. That Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. Now that's love. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head and for me he died. Now that's love. But I'm so glad that that's not how the story ends. I'm so glad that he rose again. Now that's love. What's love got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. So as you continue on your journey, as you continue to do the will and the works of the Lord, remember that love has everything to do with it. Amen. So as we stand across this place on today, we just thank God and praise God for loving us so much that he was willing to give his only begotten son so that as we believe in him, we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The great gift of love that God has for us. We should be willing to share that with someone else. I don't know if you all remember the first time that feeling that you had when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. It's probably a great feeling if you go back to your childhood or if you were an adult. You probably felt like you were on top of the world. That was a great feeling. But that was just one feeling that you had when you accepted him as Savior. But think about when you accepted him as Lord over your life because there's a difference in accepting him as Savior and accepting him as Lord. And when you give your total life to God and you allow him to have rulership and authority over every aspect of life, there's another feeling that you should have. And you should be willing to shout from the mountaintop, from the rooftop that Jesus Christ saves. And just like he saved me, he's able to save you. We trust that today's message has been inspiring and uplifting. Be sure to tune in next time for more of Kingdom Living 24-7.